Welcome back to Sports Cup with D-Crime. I'm your host, David Cromwell. We are back today with the fourth edition of our NFL Draft Recap Series, a division-by-division breakdown of the 2017 draft classes of all 32 teams. So far, we have dived into the draft halls of the AFC North, NFC North, and AFC South. Now we shall continue with one of the most competitive divisions in the National Football League, the AFC West. And to help us break down the draft classes of the Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, and Raiders, it is a pleasure to welcome to the show for the very first time, Nick Kendall. Nick writes about the Broncos and the NFL draft for MileHighHuddle.com, which is the Broncos fan page for Scout.com. It is a pleasure to have you here, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, doing pretty well. Uh, glad we can get this finally settled and uh, talk some draft prospects. Most definitely. And uh, just in case... Uh, those at home are unsure what happened. We tried uh, recording this on Thursday, but uh, uh, awkward batteries and a storm moving through Iowa, where our friend Nick is based, uh, kind of uh, put the kibosh on those plans. But thank God we are here just a couple days later to get this through to all of you. And now let's start with the Los Angeles Chargers draft class. And I still have a hard time saying that because I still wish they could have stayed in San Diego, but. Uh, Things happen for a reason, so Los Angeles Chargers. And they, I think, had one of the best drafts of all the teams, period. And they started in round one by adding another weapon for Phillip Rivers in Clemson wide receiver Mike Williams. And this is not an indictment on the Chargers' current receiving court, which is actually not that bad at all. You got Tyrell Williams, who's a very underrated player, Dontrell Inman, underrated route runner, and obviously Keenan Allen, who has been a monster when he's on the field, but the poor guy just can't stay healthy, so they needed uh, another body there. And uh, But what I was interested in, Nick, is what skill set does Mike Williams bring to the Chargers receiving core that they have been lacking in recent years from those other players I mentioned? Well, they have really lacked that wide receiver on the outside who can just go up and get it, make plays on those 50-50 balls. You know, you see wide receivers similar to him in skill set, kind of like Des Bryant or uh, Allen Robinson, you know, who go up and win those 50-50 balls more than half the time. You know, they're called 50-50, but some guys are just way better than that. And he's going to be a matchup for them in the red zone as well. I mean, you get him one-on-one and running those fade routes, and he is going to be very dynamic for Phillip Rivers. Uh, he most definitely is, and uh, his uh, presence in the red zone, I believe, could uh make him their next biggest red zone threat uh, after Antonio Gates retires, which I think is going to come sooner rather than later. But the most important thing of this Chargers draft class was beefing up Phillip Rivers' protection, which has been absolutely atrocious in recent years. And he's going to need all the protection in the world to find all those toys he has to play with. And uh, the, how they beefed up the interior offensive line in this draft was just masterful by taking Western Kentucky's Forrest Lamp in round two, who was arguably a top 15 talent based on tape alone, but his uh, short arms, I think, kicked him out of the first round, and I personally didn't agree with that, but NFL evaluators uh, still have their own biases in that regard. And they doubled down in round three with uh, another talented guard from University of Indiana in Dan Feeney, and that creates some interesting uh, scenarios for the Chargers' uh, offensive line, and, uh, and one of them comes to mind here. Uh, the, the interior of its line, because last year, Matt Slauson played center, but I think Matt Slauson is more of a guard. There was talk about Forrest Lamp um, uh, playing center instead. How do you see that shaping out? Do you think Slauson stays at center with Lamp and Feeney at guard, or does Forrest Lamp play center with Slauson and Feeney playing guard? 
I could see it going either way, honestly. I could also see Dan Feeney moving over to center. He moved over to senior, center at the Senior Bowl and dominated there. I mean, it looked like second nature to him. So they'll probably just throw out the best three that they can get in whatever order and roll with it. I wouldn't be surprised with Lamp at all, just given his uh, technical ability and his just overall mastery in the pass game and, and his intelligence. Uh, Dan Feeney, one reason to note, some people thought he was a, a, a top 40 player, but there are rumors that he has had a multitude of concussions. You know, there are two reported, but some people I've spoken with think he might have four plus or have suffered more than four concussions. So that's one reason a talented player such as him fell down. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and uh, players can see the concussions is uh, very normal. People don't uh, don't uh, misunderestimate that. Uh, and another interesting scenario that could play on the Chargers offensive line. Yes, they got Russell Okugan free agency from our Broncos, albeit in my opinion, they overpaid uh, for him because they, they were desperate to, to get a blindside protector. But Okung was a disaster last year, and he's been on the decline in recent years. And he's almost it's almost guaranteed that he's going to get hurt. Like, if there are three things guaranteed, life, death, taxes, and a Russell Okung injury, uh, you wouldn't be lying. So if Russell Okung gets injured or he disappoints, do you think the Chargers could switch Lamp over to left tackle? I understand people think his arms are too short, as I just alluded to. But if you look at that tape he had against Alabama, against Jonathan Allen, Dalvin Tomlinson, that that monstrous front, he neutralized them better than almost every SEC lineman did. And I and I think he can play left tackle in the NFL. And uh, do you think the Chargers should consider putting him at left tackle if Okung bombs or gets hurt? I could see that, but that seems like more like a worst-case scenario. I mean, you're paying Okung all that money, so you're hoping that he can stick it at tackle. And if you know if there are enough injuries on the team, you know we haven't talked about him yet, but Sam Tevy's a guy who played tackle a little raw, but has that size, has that overall athleticism to stick there. So I think best-case scenario, Lamp probably remains on the interior because you got guys like Zach Martin and Brandon Scherf who would be very good tackles, but they can be dominant guards. So I think that's just probably their niche where they win. Uh, yes, I would also add Cody White here to that exactly. list, uh, another um, uh, player who played left tackle at college but uh, looks more strongly suited on the interior and the pros. And it's a common trend we are seeing with these offensive linemen. And the Chargers double down on guard day two, but they double down on day three uh, at another position of weakness, which is the safety position as they're looking for a long-term successor to Eric Weddle, who departed for the Ravens. Uh, last season. And these two moves, I think, were even savvier than their day two moves. They started out uh, with uh, Rayshon Jenkins uh, from Miami in round four and a guy who could be an absolute steal. And you definitely know this guy, Desmond King of your Iowa Hawkeyes. Which of those players do you think is the most capable of being the long-term successor to Eric Weddle? Well, Desmond King would probably be the long-term successor to Eric Weddle if he pans out. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick. So expectations shouldn't be incredibly high. But this is a guy we were talking about last year as a potential first-round pick. So he's obviously very talented. Uh, people talked about him uh, needing to move to safety because he didn't have elite speed. But he's very instinctive. Uh, he won the Jim Thorpe just two years ago. Uh, he's very good in zone coverage, a good tackler. And I think he probably will play free safety. But he can come down and play some nickel cornerback as well. So he's a versatile guy and a very good player. I also like Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, I'm surprised that he went this high just because he is a little raw. But he's got good size and he's athletic. And when he makes the correct read, he can make a play. But I'm guessing year one, year two, he's going to be more of a special teams contributor and hopefully contributing farther down the line as a, a strong safety. That is a very accurate assessment, Nick. And now let's move on to the reigning AFC West champion, Kansas City Chiefs. 
and they uh, made a bold, bold move in round one, trading up from pick 27 all the way up to pick 10 to nab who they hope is their quarterback of the future in Patrick Mahomes uh, of Texas Tech. And this is another classic boom or bust prospect uh, at quarterback, uh, given that he comes from the air raid offense at Texas Tech, but he has a skill set that has a lot of people comparing him to Brett Favre, although I think uh, those comparisons are premature at the time. If there's anybody to get him close to that level, it is Andy Reid, who obviously worked with Brett Favre when he was coaching quarterbacks uh, in Green Bay. Uh, what is your assessment of the overall ceiling of Patrick Mahomes? Can he seriously be the next Brett Favre, or do you think he at best turns out to be a better version of Jay Cutler? Well, it's pretty hard to say right now, given how raw he is. And I never like to compare uh, guys coming from college to Hall of Famers, some of the all-time greats. But he has some of the tools that um, indicate he should be a successful quarterback. He has the best arm on a quarterback I have seen in a few years. Uh, last year, maybe Cardale Jones had a better, just a stronger arm. But just the natural uh, natural whip that and velocity that Mahomes can get on his balls, whether they be intermediate or deep down the field, is incredible. But he is rather raw mechanically. His, his throwing motion is all over the place, and he can be extremely reckless. Way too many times he uh, looks to ad lib on players and gets out get outside of the structure of the offense and play hero ball, and that that's just not going to cut it in the NFL. Uh, b- b- most definitely not. And uh, Alex Smith uh, also implied in an interview that he thinks this is his last year uh, with with the Chiefs, or at least his last year as uh, their starter. Uh, and in your opinion, do you see him taking over uh, in 2018, 2019, or if not this season, if he surprises in camp? If he, if he takes over this season, I would be pretty surprised just because of how far he appears on tape, you know, just mechanically and the, the grasp of the NFL offense compared to the air raid. I mean, he's not used to going through many uh, nuanced progressions and reading receivers and coverage like he, like he did at Texas Tech. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if he played next year. If he plays this year, that means that the Chiefs have uh, struggled, though, most likely. Kind of a Jake Plummer situation where the Broncos weren't in playoff con- playoff uh, contention there at the end, and they decided to finally go with the rook that they traded up for in Cutler. Oh, that's a very good historical comparison. And the Chiefs uh, not only uh, took a athletic project in round one, they arguably did the same in round two as they selected Tano Passignon an edge defender from Villanova. And I was wondering, uh, Pasadio is a seat as raw and needs a year to develop, but what do you think is his long-term role in the Chiefs defense? And do you think he could play uh, outside linebacker and be the long-term successor to Tamba Hali, who will uh, probably retire um, in a couple years? Uh, it's pretty hard to say with Passigno right now because of just how raw he is as a player. I could see him slimming down and potentially moving to edge, but... Given his size, most likely he's probably going to be a 3-4 defensive end, so more of an interior guy, given that length. Uh, he's going to need to beef up and get a lot more strong in uh, in the trunk if he's going to be able to anchor and play that 3-4 defensive end. But given his overall athleticism and his athletic profile, he could develop into a pretty good player. But he is very raw, so I give him a pretty high bust potential as well. Uh, most definitely, but he is in a good place, uh, like Mahomes is, t- to learn from seasoned pros ahead of him. And he's got three uh, guys he could learn from in Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, D. Ford, and uh, Chris Jones, for that matter. If he what, if they intend him to be a five-tech, Chris Jones would be a good guy for him to learn from. And in round three, at least on paper, this was my favorite pick of Kansas City's draft. One of my favorite players in this draft was 
Toledo running back Kareem Hunt. I if, And for those who have uh, listened to previous episodes, I have been a big Kareem Hunt fan since, I believe, 2015 or late 2015 when I saw uh, one of his uh, games on tape was a bowl game. I forget who it, gets, it was. And here was this like small yet compact back who played a million times bigger than his size. And if you look at the Chiefs' current backfield, they have Spencer Ware, who is talented and Andy Reid loves, but he just can't stay healthy. But uh, you could argue that Hunt has an even bigger, higher ceiling uh, than than Spencer Ware. Do you see Kareem Hunt emerging as the Chiefs' lead running back at some point this year? Absolutely. I'm like you. I am a big Kareem Hunt fan. Uh, Just this year, I was actually watching the Toledo versus BYU game to watch Jamal Williams, who I was a fan of. And I'd I'd heard of Kareem Hunt before, but I hadn't really seen him. And that game was the most fireworks for running back prospects I've ever seen. I think both finished with over 200 yards and like three touchdowns. And it was just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, But yeah, Hunt's a great player. I love with how uh, much tenacity he plays in the run game. Sometimes he will look to bowl over guys when he shouldn't. You know, he just, you know, instead of taking a big, big hit, just go down. But he plays with incredible balance. And one thing I love about his game compared to uh, last year, he went back and really worked on becoming a great uh, receiving option. And that showed on tape this year. I mean, his some of his plays out of the backfield and his hands and the routes he was able to run just add tremendous value for him as a player. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was a the starting Chiefs running back by the end of the year. Oh, and the fact that you said that he improved his receiving chops is crucial uh, because in an Andy Reid offense, uh, he asks his running backs to be receivers even more than runners, arguably. So uh, that uh, could definitely help him in his endeavor in Kansas City. And now let's move to our favorite team, the Denver Broncos. Uh, 2015 Super Bowl champs. Don't forget that Broncos fans, Super Bowl 50 champs. We are that forever and ever. Do not forget that. And still take pride in it every day that we were able to get it done with Peyton Manning. But the Broncos are in the midst of a rebuild, reload, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they entered the draft with one of the worst offensive tackle situations in the league. And yes, this was only a top-heavy week on depth tackle class. So Uh, A lot of people were telling the Broncos don't reach for a tackle at 20, but they had no choice um, uh, the more I think about it. And at first, I wasn't crazy about them drafting Garrett Bowles, but after reading the article that you recently wrote for milehighhuddle.com about his game against Takaris McKinley, drafted by the Falcons six picks later, and McKinley's going to be a a great player in my opinion, uh, that gives me uh, more hope that this Garrett Bowles pick will turn out well for the Broncos. Yes, he's raw. And yes, he uh, needs uh, some refurbishing in his pass protection technique in particular. But why should Broncos fans who were antsy about this pick initially be hopeful about it? Well, he offers a young pass protector that we haven't had in a very long time. He has all the tools in terms of his athleticism and size to handle left tackle in the NFL. And he's just scratching his potential, which is crazy to say. He, was, he went to Snow College, a community college in Utah, and he started there as a defensive tackle and had just recently, just this last year, or two years ago, moved to offensive tackle. He then became the number one offensive tackle uh, JUCO recruit in the entire country and had offers from a plethora of Division One schools, including Alabama, but he chose to stay close to home at Utah, and it showed on tape. I mean, like you said, he is very raw technically and especially with some of the mental aspects of the game, you know, just some situational, situational awareness and... Uh, he was a little bit grab hap- grab happy and false start happy to start the year. But just his upside is tremendous, and he has the mentality that you need to s- 
to succeed on the offensive line. You know, you see a lot of athletic players, a lot of, you know, strong guys on the offensive line, but they don't have that mental just bully attitude that Bowles brings to the table that you honestly need in an offensive line to win. I expect him to struggle uh, year one. He's not. I don't think he's going to be as consistent or as just average as Okung was last year. Okung was a solid run blocker. He struggled more with pass protection. Uh, Garcia and him sometimes struggle with that, especially switching over those stunts. But I expect Bowles to, if Bowles can play you know, league average year one, that's a huge gift for the Broncos because you're getting that starting left tackle at such a discounted salary, and that can just lock that position down for the next few years on a controlled rate, which is beyond huge for the team. Absolutely. And do you think it will be a major disappointment or red flag if Garrett Bowles isn't the Broncos starting left tackle week one? It all depends on how everyone does in camp. I just want to see the personally, I just would want to see the best guys out there. And if for some reason, Sam Brayla looks like a revelation, revelation, excuse me. uh, I don't believe that'll happen, but you know, just, you know, who knows? But put him at right tackle. Or if he struggles this year and uh, or is just not the best this year and you put him at right tackle, that's still valuable. But I'm happy with the pick getting a, a valued position, uh, probably one of the best ones left on the board. We had our pick of the litter. And I'm not too worried about him. I, I expect him, I honestly expect him to struggle somewhat uh, to start the year. But just like at Utah, I expect him to get better each and every game. You know, you saw him very raw the first games of the year, you know, against USC, against BYU. And then by the end of the year, you know, playing Minnesota, he's having all pro level games. So I'm excited about the pick and I'm excited to watch him grow as a player. Oh, same here. And uh, early struggles have to be expected, especially with the competition he faces in the division, whether it's Joey Bosa, Justin Houston, D Ford, Melvin Ingram, uh, Khalil Mack, uh, you name it. And, uh, it, moving on to the Broncos' round two pick at 51 overall, uh, they took uh, Florida State um, defensive lineman Demarcus Walker. And based on discussions with people I trust, including you, I doubt that Demarcus Walker will play up to his draft slot given his physical uh, limitations. And that's where I why I think the Broncos uh, were too rich here uh, in picking Demarcus w- w- Walker here because. Yes, he does have something to offer as a situational pass rusher, but that's it. Do not ask him to be an edge setter against the run. He won't grow into that. And uh, what does Walker have to do for the Broncos in order for him to play up to more of like a third-round value, where I personally think it would have made a lot more sense for the Broncos to take him? Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think the Broncos did reach on this pick a little bit, uh, potentially maybe overvaluing interior pass rush. You know, he when he does win as a B-grab penetrator, as an interior pass rusher, I mean, it does look pretty. He's got a very strong rip move, and when he gets his snap anticipation right, he's got a solid get-off. But it's just not consistent, especially on the edge. You know, he's, he's often one of the later guys to react to the ball being snapped, and a lot of sometimes he stands straight up. He doesn't have very good lateral agility, as we saw at the combine, or not at the combine, at his pro day at some pretty poor times. Now, that said, he was coming off of a foot injury, but you don't see great lateral agility on tape uh, against Louisville or Clemson as well. So that's something that I, I do worry about. But if we can use him, set it, you know, utilize him as an interior pass rusher on those second and longs, third and longs, where he's owning that B-gap in those one-on-one situations, he can be valuable and he can win. This is kind of a lesser-known guy, but Tom Johnson is a very solid three-technique interior pass rusher for the Minnesota Vikings, who... Is Carl Dummler, my co-host at the Huddle Up podcast, pointed out it's very similar to Demarcus Walker, and he's spot on. If you see tape of Demarcus Walker, or not Demarcus Walker, Tom Johnson of the Vikings, it looks almost exactly like Demarcus Walker. So year one and going forward, I expect him to be more of that interior pass rusher, and he can win that way. 
but I don't see him being a base 3-4 defensive end. I just don't see the anchor or the length there. And does that kind of limit the value of his pick? I think it does. But if he can be an interior, a good interior pass rusher, that's going to add value, and that's something we sorely missed last year on defense. Uh, yes, they're definitely asking him to play the role that Malik Jackson played so masterfully for us uh, in that uh, Super Bowl winning season uh, in uh, nickel pass rush uh, packages. And uh, and now moving on to their third round picks. The Broncos had two third round picks this year, and who they picked at 82 overall would have made a lot more sense if they would have picked him at 51 overall and Demarcus Walker at 82 overall, as I allude to Louisiana tech wide receiver, Carlos Henderson. You are a big, big fan of Carlos Henderson. What makes you such a fan of Carlos Henderson? And do you think he is the slot receiver for the Broncos in week one? Oh, Carlos Henderson is just a dynamic playmaker. He was tops in the entire, uh, all of college football this year at making guys miss in the open field out of all wide receivers. And he made, uh, multiple guys miss like almost twice as much as any other college wide receiver this year. So the dude is elusive and explosive in the open field and just can make guys miss left and right. I really enjoy that. He is a strong kick returner adding value there for the Broncos. If they choose to use him that way, you know, we've struggled there the past few years and I enjoy his blocking. That's something that's really underrated with wide receivers and with McCoy coming over, you know, you're going to see the Broncos probably utilize that screen passing game more than they have the past few years. And with Henderson, you know, being so dynamic in the open field and being a just a, a headhunter almost when it comes to a wide receiver as a blocker, he's going to be a lot of fun. And I expect him to be a very good contributor this year for the Broncos year one. Now, do I expect him to be a great fantasy contributor? I'm not sure if the Broncos have enough of a high volume passing attack with the uh, younger quarterbacks and the strong defense. But I expect Henderson to be probably one of the most fun players to watch for the Broncos this year. I definitely can't wait to watch uh, Carlos Henderson. And there were some complaints about Henderson's uh, route running, but uh, your c colleague, Eric Trickle at milehighhuddle.com, said that uh, Louisiana Tech just didn't ask him to run a lot of pro-style routes in college. And But as he showed sometimes on tape, he can take the top off the defense as well. So do you think the concerns about his uh, route running were a little overstated? Uh, I guess that's yet to be seen for me because uh, I try to base most of my – evaluation on the tape and just because of the type of game or gameplay that they asked him to use at Louisiana Tech they just didn't ask him to use different types of routes or those nuances so it's something that's yet to be seen for me you know to be determined now that said I, I fully believe Eric uh, Trickle's assessment about they didn't ask him to use those routes so we will see it when it comes out but preseason training camp I'm hoping to see some great routes from him and I expect him to play not only slot but on the outside as well maybe even some uh maybe even some plays out of the backfield he did come to Louisiana Tech as a running back, and I wouldn't be surprised if they used him in uh, two running back sets and then, you know, motioned him out or used him on some sweeps or screens in that way as well. Yes, that's where the Randall Cobb comparison comes in. Several uh, great uh, analysts have compared him to Randall Cobb, so uh, so that is a glimpse into the ceiling that Carlos Sanderson has. And uh, they also um, picked in the third round at 101 overall, and they selected Brendan Langley, a quarterback from tiny little Lamar College uh, in Texas, and uh, this was a guy who was rising up draft boards late, and yes, he's very raw, converted wide receiver, uh, started out at Georgia, then transferred to Lamar to get more playing time, uh, but I, but after listening to uh, you and others, uh, what I believe the Broncos have drafted him to do for now uh, is to replace uh, Kayvon Webster, take his spot 
on special teams. And Kayvon Webster was one of the unsung heroes of that Super Bowl run, giving his given his uh, amazing play on special teams, downing all those punts uh, at the goal line and making all those open field tackles. Uh, so do, do you think Brennan Langley immediately takes Kayvon Webster's uh, place on special teams? Well, he's going to have to compete for it, obviously, but I would be 0% surprised if he came in and took that gunner role that Kayvon Webster uh, had took over for all those years. And I think he would be very good at it. I mean, he's a big, strong, physical cornerback who likes to be likes to be physical, likes to hit guys. So he is very far off in terms of his footwork and just overall mental acumen as a cornerback. You know, he does he doesn't always attack properly the ball, or you know, he can get run hit. He can almost run himself out of routes if a wide receiver runs solid routes, just because he's not fully there with his footwork. You know, sometimes can get a little sloppy. But I think playing as the fourth or fifth corner in the no-fly zone this year, you know, slowly being integrated into the offense, he's going to work his way to a boundary corner. And year one, punt returner as a gunner. or He can also punt return, but uh, he's going to work as a gunner and also on kickoffs. So valuable guy, valuable special teams contributor year one, and hopefully a boundary corner in the future. Uh, that is the hope. But uh, but some Broncos fans were like um, – uh calling this a reach even more so than DeMarcus Walker. And I actually will disagree because uh, late round three is technically early round four. And in round four, that's where the guys who can make an immediate impact on special teams start going off the board. And Langley is obviously one of those, uh, one of those players. Uh, do, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And it's once you start getting to the beginning of day three or the very end of day two, you want to start just taking your guys. You know, if there's somebody on there, and we got to trust our defensive coordinator, especially our defensive back coaches. You know, we got a lot there with Vance Joseph and uh, Woods and even our defensive back coach there now. So if, if Brandon Langley was the guy to go get, then you got to trust him. So it's kind of like Kayvon Webster a few years ago. You know, I thought when that happened, you know, maybe this was before I was such a hardcore tape watcher as I am now. But, you know, I was like, oh, I haven't really heard that much about that guy. Maybe a little bit of a reach. But if he's your guy, if he's your coach's or your scouting department's guy, go get him. It's not a reach. Yeah. It's a little bit different than the second round because there's a lot more talent on the board. Yeah, and also plus uh, your colleague Eric Trickle um, reported that uh, Webster uh, – uh, forgive me – Langley was in demand from several other teams as well. Several other teams uh, thought about trading up ahead of the Broncos to nab him. So, uh, and, and I believe him, and uh, so that pick uh, makes sense – at least for now. And uh, let's move on to the Oakland Raiders, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders. And obviously they have that great offense that just got potentially even more dangerous with Marshawn Lynch coming out of retirement to play for the Raiders in their final uh, couple seasons in Oakland before the new stadium in Vegas is ready. Uh, so, but last year, if you look at that defense, Sans Khalil Mack, there was absolutely nobody, nobody, to be feared on that defense, not named Khalil Max, especially in terms of their pass defense. And uh, that's why in round one at 24 overall, they might've gotten a huge steal by selecting Gary and Conley cornerback from Ohio state. Uh, there was speculation. Conley might even fall completely out of the draft uh, after those rape allegations surfaced a couple days before, but he took a lie detector test and the Raiders uh, had Intel on it and uh, they pounced. How big of a steal do you think the Raiders got with Gary and Conley at 24 overall? Well, I think he, on tape, you know, outside of the off-field allegations, he is a very good man corner. Um, he's very good at sticking with wide receivers. He's very fluid and he has decent size and has the ability to attack the ball. 
Um, this past few days, I've been watching tape on 2018 offensive tackles. You know, already starting the already starting the grind for next year. And I was watching Mitch Hyatt, and I watched he was the left tackle for Clemson, probably a first round pick next year. And I was watching uh, Mike Williams go against Garyon Conley, and Conley just owned him in the first half. You know, Clemson took that game away. Ohio State's offense, you know, faltered pretty early. But Conley had an interception that could have changed the outcome of the game or changed the course of the game at the very beginning if, op- if Ohio State's offense could have capitalized. He was very physical against Conley, which was surprising to me because that's something that he struggled with in a lot of his tape, you know, being physical on the routes. He can get pushed off him at the top, and he's not very good at jamming at the line of scrimmage either. Uh, but he's a, he's a solid man corner. He's going to have to get uh, stronger. He's going to have to get better at tackling, and he's going to have to get a little more physical, like I just mentioned, at the top of the routes and at the beginning of the routes, you know, if he's jamming guys. But he can stick with wide receivers like glue when need be, and I think they got themselves, at worst, a very good number two corner. I believe so, too, and uh, for what it's worth, NFL.com's Lance Zierlein, one of the best uh, draft analysts in the business, uh, his pro comparison for Gary and Conley was Aqib Tlaib, and that's absolutely what the Raiders are hoping he uh, turns into. And in round two, they double down on the secondary by taking Obi Melifonwu, a safety from Connecticut, and Melifonwu was one of the freakish, most freakish athletes uh, at the Combine this year. And uh, there was, and he tested so well that there was chatter of him going uh, at the end of round one up until uh, draft night. And I'm puzzled. Why do you think Melifonwu slid so far? And do you consider the Raiders' selection of him uh, in round two a steal as well? I don't consider it a steal. I consider it about exactly where its value should be. Uh, he did have a very good combine, but overall, he's still pretty raw as a player. Watching him on tape, you know, you see the big size, but he doesn't always play the biggest. You know, he was very cognizant that a lot of times he's the last line of defense, and that kind of makes him almost look like he hesitates when he comes downhill, you know. And with that size, you, you're expecting Cam Chancellor, but he just doesn't play that way. But that's fine. You know, he, there's not many Cam Chancellors in the NFL. Uh, he's very raw, especially the mental uh, processing part, which is super important for safeties. You know, if they're a step late, it can be a touchdown. It's a difference between a touchdown and an interception, honestly. Year one, I expect him probably to be more of a special teams contributor and play some of that big dime role that Denver, you know, a lot of teams like to use now these days. But, you know, you see Ward or Justin Simmons in the box. And with OB's size, you know, that that can be a very good spot for him. So I expect them to be pretty, uh, pretty nuanced and clever with him year one and just seeing how he develops as a player. That, that makes a lot of sense, given the fact that many said that his tape didn't match his measurables uh, that much, so they got a lot to work with there. And in round three, they took UCLA defensive lineman Eddie Vanderdoes, and the, the interior defensive line uh, was an area the Raiders struggled with a lot last year, uh, and they need guys who could create more push up the middle to free up Khalil Mack uh, even more. And uh, they do have uh, one of their starting uh, linemen, Justin Ellis. Um, his contract is up at the end of this year. His rookie contract will become a free agent. Do you think Eddie Vanderdoes will be called on to replace uh, Justin Ellis? Um, uh, he definitely will compete with Justin Ellis as well as Darius Latham from, uh, I believe it was Indiana. Uh, no, yeah, Indiana. Good player, uh, very big. I think he was an undrafted free agent, but has been a decent interior defensive lineman, especially for an undrafted guy. And he'll probably complete with Ellis as well. I don't really see many great interior defensive linemen for the Raiders. They also have Mario Edwards Jr., who will probably play probably a similar role to Demarcus Walker. Uh, and, he is Demarcus Walker. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. Very similar players. The Kind of that slanting uh, B-Tech de- penetrator. 
but overall, it's a solid pick. Vanderdose, when healthy, he plays very solid. You know, he's very uh, disruptive. Almost sometimes can be a little out of control with his penetration just because he arrives with so much violence. Very strong hands. But he's had some issues with his ACL and some issues with uh, staying proper uh, in proper physical shape as well. There's been some questions about his keeping off some of the baby weight, especially with his injuries. So we'll see about that. But it just adds another defensive rotation player for them at pretty decent value. And if he can stay healthy, he'll be a contributor for him. Okay. As I alluded to um, uh, several minutes back, the Raiders had to improve their defense because if, if they do not improve their defense and have other people to be afraid of, aside from Khalil Mack, uh, they w- remain well behind the New England Patriots and maybe even the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of whether or not they're Super Bowl contenders or not. And do you think the Raiders, with the additions they have made on defense of the draft this offseason, have closed that gap? Well, honestly, it's going to mostly depend on the guys that they drafted on defense in last year's draft, not this year's draft. I don't expect Obi or Eddie Vanderdose to have huge roles this year, more niche players competing. I do expect Conley to take one of the cornerback spots right away, especially when you need three. But the guys I'm most curious about for their defense, uh, most curious about for their defense is Carl Joseph, their first-round pick last year, uh, Shalik Calhoun, who was the edge rusher they took from Michigan State, and Jihad Ward, who's another defensive lineman. So... Uh, Markel Lee is another interesting name they drafted this year. Uh, Wake Forest linebacker who some say should be starting for them. He should compete for a starting linebacker role. So it's going to depend on a lot more of their guys that they drafted two years ago and just overall player development if their defense is going to match their offense this year or at least compete in that regard. Completely agree. And he is Nick Kendall, ladies and gentlemen, of milehighhuddle.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Kendall, M-H-H, and that is K-E-N-D-E-L-L, folks, not K-E-N-D-A-L-L, just to, just to make sure the, the folks know so they can find you on Twitter, Nick. And uh, thank you very much once again for joining us tonight, Nick, and we hope it's one of the first of many times you donate your amazing football mind to this program. Uh, but before we go, in this series, I ask these three questions to all get the guests and uh, just got to answer them. Out of all four teams combined, who was the absolute best pick and who was the absolute worst pick? Oh, wow. Out of all four teams combined, who was the best pick? I'm going to have to go with Forrest Lamp. I thought that was a top 20 caliber offensive lineman, and just for how much the uh, Chargers have struggled, you know, with help, healthy offensive linemen and how just consistent and solid Lamp looked on tape. I think he's going to be an immediate contributor for them and be a solid player that, for them for the next 10 years, especially with how their roster is constructed right now. You know, they've had Philip Rivers take a lot of pressure at the interior the last few years. He's been hit a bunch, and he's still gotten up. I mean, we may hit, hate Philip Rivers as Bronco fans, but <laughs> I also got to respect him. It's almost like the end of Anchorman. It's like, God darn it. I hate you, but I respect you. That's that's totally <laughs> Philip Rivers for me. Um, and also with Melvin Gordon on their offense, I think that's getting Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp is going to be huge for him and just their directionality as an offense. So I think that was the best pick. Worst pick? Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot here. I don't want to say Demarcus Walker. I don't want to say Demarcus Walker. Maybe the worst value was Demarcus Walker. Gosh, I hate saying that. I think he's going to be a solid player, but I just thought he was more of a borderline day two, day three talent overall. Um, if we are going, you know, screw that. I'm not going to go with him. 
Broncos A pluses on all their picks. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with Tano Passigno. I don't see exactly how he fits what the Chiefs are doing right now. You know, they got a really good team, and after trading up for a guy who's not gonna contribute year one for them in uh, Patrick Mahomes, they also take a really far developmental prospect in Tano Passigno. I just I don't get it. The Chiefs have a really good roster right now. They're competing in the AFC West. I mean, get a couple good players, get a good second round pick here. And you potentially are fighting with the Raiders and maybe even the Patriots and the Broncos, you know, because they're the best uh, for the AFC. So I don't really like the Tano Passigno pick in terms of a second round value for the Chiefs. And for the record, folks, Nick does not give the Broncos an A plus on all their picks. We're, we're Broncos fans, but we're not homers. Just have to no, let no, you no. know. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I know you were, Nick. Just uh, wanted to reassure the folks back home. As they say, uh, days one and two of the draft are about the sizzle, but day three is about the stake. Day three is what separates the contenders from the pretenders. And uh, the teams that draft well on day three are more likely to be contenders uh, than pretenders. And uh, as uh, Trey Wigo cited on day three of the draft, two-thirds of all the players last year who played snaps on the field were drafted on either day three or weren't drafted at all. So who was your favorite pick on day three for each team and why? Well, my favorite pick for the Broncos was Jake Butt. You know, a very good, potentially round one caliber tight end. I saw more of a round two guy, but some said round one caliber tight end that they got day three. He is coming off that ACL injury, and he might not be ready to play day one, but very good value at a position that the Broncos needed another uh, injection of young talent. And with Derby, Green, Hireman, and now Butt, I think we somebody's got to emerge, right? Like, somebody's got to emerge. <laughs> so I like that pick for them. Uh, for the Chiefs, I do like the Jehu Chesson pick just for, at worst, special teams. He's a big guy. He ran a 4.47 in the combine, and he was really good two years ago. He struggled somewhat this year, but so did the Michigan passing offense as a whole. He's going to have to work somewhat on his route running. He has a little bit of a hitch step sometimes when he's getting out of his breaks, but he's a big body guy, and I think he, at worst, is going to be a good solid te- special teams contributor. He's also, again, you know, I'm, I'm an offensive line, defensive line first guy first, so what I look for even with my wide receivers, I want guys who are physical and willing to block. And Chesson's a great blocker. Uh, let me see. For the Raiders, I enjoy their pick. We talked about him already. Markel Lee could potentially be starting for them this year uh, at linebacker. He's not the rangiest guy, but he plays instinctive, and he can play in the box and just be a good overall ball chaser, uh, more of a pursuit linebacker. And I think he can be very valuable there and also filling gaps. And then for the Chargers, my favorite day three pick it's got to be Desmond King I mean (laughs) he's some say he was a first round pick he can play nickelback for them he can play free safety he's very good at attacking the ball and he's a solid run defender you know he's not afraid to be physical even though he's not the biggest guy he's not the fastest guy he is still a very solid uh, run defender and an overall secondary player and then have I already said the Chargers still got the Chargers Uh, to go yeah no you already said the Chargers you got all the teams taken care of there Nick all right awesome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, you're cool, Nick. And uh, and you alluded to grades uh, beforehand, and I am one of those firm believers that it is blatantly foolish to grade a draft days, weeks, or even one year after the draft has occurred. It takes three to four years to accurately grade a draft class. So in three to four years, which of these four draft classes will be the best in practice as opposed to on paper? Well, that's a pretty nuanced question. I, I, you know, I don't have a a crystal ball in front of me, so I can't say totally. But on paper, it looks like it would be the Chargers just because the players that they hit, they got a bunch of good value throughout the draft. But what's really going to make and break all these classes together 
is if Mahomes makes it. If Mahomes makes it as a franchise quarterback, the Chiefs, all their other picks could bust. They they walk out of the draft a winner. Completely agree, Nick. And thank you once again for joining us. And we, like I said, we hope this is just the first of many times we have you on the program. Uh, Nick Kendall, you could read his work at milehighhuddle.com and follow him at on Twitter at Nick Kendall MHH. Thank you once again, Nick. And that is all for today here on Sports Touch with D. Crown. But we plan to be back next week with more of our draft recap series, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And that is Crunch with a K. For Nick Kendall, our producer Chris Broadhead, man of the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and stay awesome. <laughs>